Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm the founder of Gearhart Law. And welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurs, businesses, and their intellectual property. And I work at Gearhart Law. I do the marketing, but I have my own business too. So I'm stretched a couple of different ways. But we are so happy to have a great show today. Do you want to talk about who's going to be on the show? I absolutely do. But I also, before we start, I want to brag about our new studio. This is the new Passage to Profit studio that we just set up. And we have a new camera, so we're getting used to that. You know what they say, the camera adds 10 pounds, which is why we're sitting down right now. <laughs> yeah, we finally gave up on the idea of being able to go back into New York. <laughs> I think right now people from New Jersey are banned <laughs> from going into New York because our coronavirus cases have gone up so fast. So here we are, and we do have a fantastic show tonight. We have Elsie D. Flinnard III from Podcast Town, and we have Amy. Amy Adan, and we have Carolyn McBride, and they'll be joining us a little bit later in the show. But before we do that, let's get into the oh, I can IP hardly wait to adventures. do the Patent Palooza. I can hardly wait to do the Patent Palooza. Now, I got to tell you, this patent issued in 1982, so it's not in any response to what's going on now, but it is a mask, but it's an anti-eating mask. So you put it over your mouth and there's straps and there's a little padlock on the side <laughs> <laughs> to stop yourself from eating. So the question is, who has the key to the padlock, right? I mean, because if you do, what's the point, right? But if the other person happens to be out of town, then boy, you go hungry for a long time. I can see the, it has grids. So it's not like an N95 mask, but maybe we should lock some of those N95s on some people. I don't know. Yeah, really speak. Speaking of masks, now's the time for this product to make a comeback, right? Yeah. So, so that was fun. So on to IP in the news. Yeah. So what are we talking? Oh, another Apple lawsuit. It seems like Apple comes up every other week on our program. And we're just glad they do because it gives us a chance to talk about patent litigation. And there was a company that sued them for security software. And they recently got a half a billion dollar verdict. Um, but the interesting thing about this is that it took 10 years for the lawsuit to get through the legal system. But there's still another 10 years left on the patent because patents are good for 20 years. So there's still a lot of money to be made from this. And the court awarded a royalty. So there should be plenty of profits. The company is Veritech. And congratulations to them and their legal team. I don't think Apple will frankly notice uh, missing half a billion dollars. So don't worry, your iPhones are safe for the future. Now for our guest. I've been waiting for this because I got a lot to say to this guy and ask him about. I, I love his name too. It's LZD Flanard III. So you can't make that kind of stuff up. So welcome to the show, LZ. Tell us all about what you're doing. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. And I have to distinguish which one I am because there are four LZs now. So it's important to, <laughs> to, you know, to pick the right one. So basically what I do is I help people grow their podcast. A lot of people have podcasts now, but it's very difficult to stand out now since there are so many other people that also have podcasts. My number one mission is to help people grow, grow their shows, which in turn helps to grow their businesses. So my number one job in life when I uh, wake up in the morning is to grow podcasts. 
picture a little garden where I'm planting the seedlings of podcast success and it grows <laughs> up and sprouts into beautiful blossoming flowers. So my first question, when we talked about this earlier, I said you really started this in 2016 and we're saying like NPR had podcasts, iHeart had some, iHeart since has grown its podcasting platform immensely to be the biggest in the world, right, Kenya? Yeah, we have actually. So we're the number one commercial podcaster. So how did you know in 2016 to get into podcasting? The abbreviated version of this uh, very long story is I started an internet radio station, mainly because I wanted to interview and talk with and have conversations with successful business owners and entrepreneurs. I wanted to learn from them and to grow my own knowledge by having those direct conversations. So my thought was, okay, I'll start this station. I'll have my show, Enterprise Now. We're talking business and I'll also have other shows on the station. So we can talk business 24 seven. And what happened was I ran across an actual podcast, like a real podcast. And I fell in love with the medium and I'm a recovering engineer. So I started doing some research and some planning and I started doing some projections and I said, okay, I think this is going to be a thing. And so I shut down the internet station, focused on my podcast and really grew my business from there. So it's interesting that you did some math, I guess, drawing from your engineering background on that. So what kind of things did you look at when you were trying to figure out whether this would make sense. One of the main things I looked at is the trends in on-demand in general. I looked at things like Netflix and the fact that people want what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And I thought that audio was going to go that same direction. People are going to want to listen to the topics and the subjects they want to listen to, where they want to listen to it, and how they want to listen to it. And so I thought that audio podcasting specifically was going to fall in line with that trend. And I started to look at, okay, it's growing year over year over year steadily. And then I started to notice um, certain players starting to get involved in the space. And that led me to believe that this is not only going to be a thing, but it's going to be a big thing. A lot of people are starting their own podcast now. We, thanks to Kenya Gibson, you can see here. <laughs> yes, thank you, Kenya. Thank you. We started awesome. this radio show a little over two years ago, and she gave us the podcast, or iHeart gave us the podcast along with it. And we were like, oh, we get a podcast. <laughs> it's like, okay. And Kenya came up with the format, and we've really been enjoying doing it. People thought we were crazy as a law firm to do a radio show and podcast at that time. Well, they, they thought our anymore. marketing director was crazy. <laughs> but they don't anymore because now podcasts are ubiquitous. I mean, it's going to be like having a website, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I made the bold prediction that in three years, you're going to have a website, you're going to have a blog, and you're going to be in the space in some form, whether you're advertising on podcasts, whether you're guesting on podcasts, or whether you host a podcast, you will be in the space. It absolutely seems like uh, that's the direction that things are going. And I would just ask, you know, with all these podcasts out there, how do you cut through the noise and get your message to deliver to your market? or your listeners. Yeah, and it's tough to be quite honest, which is why I exist, right? People hire me because they want to grow. They want to stand out. They want to put together a, a show, a product that's going to, number one, reflect their brand, and number two, attract their ideal client. 
So part of it is injecting your personality into the content, being yourself, being an authority. And quality is a big factor as well. Having a high quality show that people want to listen to, that they get value from, that's going to help you stand out. So what do you tell people when they come to you ready to start a podcast? Like what is the first thing they need to do? Or maybe... Kenya and you can talk about this together. You know, we've been doing a lot of this trial by fire stuff with podcasting, to be quite honest. What are some of the mistakes people make when they are starting a podcast? There's got to be some. And I'm sure we've made some of them. Yeah. Talk about mistakes. I think I've probably made all of them. I think the biggest mistake is not being prepared and not really having a strategy behind why you're doing the show in the first place. Back in 2016, I would go into networking meetings. I was the only one with a podcast and I was the only one who even really knew what a podcast was. I go to a networking meeting today in 2020, everybody knows what a podcast is and a lot of people have them. So I think having an extremely strong why is super important because that's going to carry you through that episode seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, when you realize OMG, this is actually a lot of work. And in order to grow this thing, I'm going to have to put in the hard work. Your why is going to carry you through. But second to that strategy, have a strategy, understand why your format is what it is. Every single thing that you say, every segment, everything that you do with your podcast should be purposeful and intentional. And it should align with the why and the strategy behind the show. Some people just grab a microphone from Amazon, plug it into their computer and go. That's probably not going to work for most people. <laughs> you know, if you already have an audience, maybe that works. But if you're starting from scratch, you want to know your why, you want to have a strategy, focus on quality and make sure that you're consistent. Elsie, we're sure that this journey has not been easy. What are some of the challenges that you faced and what's it like to be an entrepreneur running your own show, if you'll pardon the pun? And what are some of the hurdles that you face, for example? The best way I can describe that is, I don't know if you guys are a roller coaster enthusiast, but it's like a roller coaster. <laughs> and the thing about this roller coaster in particular is you're responsible for building it. So if it crashes, it's your fault. Or if it does well, it's also your fault. And just when you think that you're going up, there's a steep decline on the other end that you didn't even know about that hits you and then your stomach goes into your throat and then you stabilize and then you grow. It's literally one day I'm the best entrepreneur on the face of the planet. The next day, oh my God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so it is, it is, it's everything that I imagined and more, but it's extremely difficult. It's a hard job, but I love it. I think I'm built for it. It's in my bones. And so even though it can be up and down, it's absolutely the best decision that I've made professionally. So if you don't have iHeart doing it for you and you're a normal person sitting in your own studio at home, how do you start a podcast? I assume there's equipment that you need to have a dedicated space or at least a quiet space. Like, what do you tell people? I'm going to give you the famous salesperson's answer. It depends because <laughs> again, it depends on why you're doing the show in the first place. If it's a solo cast, then maybe all you need is a microphone, USB, plug it into your laptop and you can do it from your closet. I actually have a client. She does it from our closet and she sounds fantastic. But if you are a panel show that you're going to need three other guests, your closet probably is sort of weird to ask people to come on your show and come into your closet. Probably want to stay away from that. <laughs> so, uh, so I would say it, it depends on what type of show you want to do and kind of what your goal is. You can do it very inexpensively 
or it could cost you a, a ton of money to produce it depending on what your goals are. Well, that's really interesting. Having the right equipment is important, but the right equipment can be expensive sometimes. So you have to find that right balance there. So you mentioned that you were on a roller coaster and that's kind of what the entrepreneurial experience is like. And I really like that description because it's really true. Can you talk a little bit about what were some of the highs and what were some of the lows on that ride? Some of the highs is limitless, right? Um, on any given day, I can make a million dollars tomorrow, but it's limitless on the other end as well. I could lose a million dollars. So, you know, I, I've had several businesses that didn't work for various reasons, right? Maybe the market wasn't ready. Maybe I didn't have enough capital to sustain the losses. So I think some of the lows are when ideas that I had that I was really passionate about didn't work. And now I have to tell everybody, hey, this didn't work and we have to do something else. And seeing the disappointments and the loss of income for people and really just having to be the person to tell people that this idea, although it could have worked, didn't work. And now we have to do something different. The high is providing opportunity to people helping people tell their story and having a voice and being a part of seeing that light bulb go off when a person realizes how powerful their voice is and the fact that they can change lives with their message. I mean, I, I wake up in the morning knowing that I'm playing a part in changing people's lives. So that's, that's a high for me. What are some tips that you can give to people who are looking to monetize their podcasts? Because, you know, that's a big thing now with people is, okay, great. I have this podcast, but you know, how do I monetize it? And maybe monetizing it is not important to some people, but for the people that it is important to, what would you suggest? Again, back to quality strategy, making sure that all of that stuff is tight and then really just understanding how you want to monetize. I have some clients that they're looking at sponsors. And so obviously sponsors want to know what's your social engagement? What's your reach? What is your email list? I always, 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 always tell podcasters, you need an email list. That is literally gold. Like what size email list? Obviously the larger, the better, but what's sort of like the minimum entry to get somebody interested in sponsoring your podcast? It depends. If I have a thousand people on my email list and my open rate is 80%, that's really valuable versus I have 10,000 people and my open rate is, I'm gonna just say 1% just so my math is right. Um, so <laughs> it, it depends on the engagement level. If I know every time I send an email, people are gonna open it and they buy, then that's more valuable than if I have a ton of people, but there's no engagement or action behind that. How do you potentially find sponsors for your podcast? I always tell people you want to find people or companies or organizations that align with your values. Going back to my earlier point, first, you have to have values and know what, to, what, the, <laughs> what the show is about. You want to find shows that align with your values and you reach out to them and you show them, hey, I have this social reach. I have this on my email list. I have this many Facebook followers, this many people on LinkedIn. I also have this many downloads and depending on what host you have, you can even dive deeper into those stats. So you present yourself as a well-oiled machine that has an engaged listenership and nine times out of 10 sponsors are going to find you. What are some of the more successful themes that you've had? And when you talk about aligning values, can you explain that a little bit more? So for example, I do a business show enterprise. Now it's all about business owners and, and entrepreneurs. For me to have a water sponsor on my show to promote their water brand, 
there's no alignment there. It's like, what does water have to do with business or entrepreneurship? But if I had a backpack company who wants to promote their backpacks to entrepreneurs who are running businesses that they can run from their backpack, well, there's alignment there, right? Because we're, we're talking to the same people. So I think, especially as a podcast host, you develop trust with your listeners. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to promote to them something that you don't believe in and that you can't stand behind because you lose trust. It's really hard to build, but it's really easy to lose. Nowadays, what is an impressive podcast listening audience? Do you count that by the number of downloads? I guess that's how you really gauge the success of a podcast or are there other ways too? You can. Going back to Kenya's question, I've always attempted to promote my own products and services because the return on investment is a lot higher then the time that it would take me to get a sponsor, the social proof that I would have to have and the work that goes into maintaining that sponsor, the ROI for me to promote my services is a lot higher. So that's another option, right? So promoting your companies or affiliates and things like that. But again, it depends. It's all about engagement. If you have a hundred engaged people, that is much more valuable than a thousand unengaged, if that's a word, unengaged people. But if you're a podcast network, engagement and downloads are both going to be important. So Elsie, do you use a lot of social media marketing to get word on your podcast out? How do you advertise it? Mostly being a guest on other podcasts is a very effective way, email lists and social media. That's really, really good information. What could you say if you're starting a podcast for the first time? What are some first like immediate steps? besides the equipment and so on and so forth that you would recommend people would take? I always recommend if it's an interview show, starting where you are, a lot of times people try to sort of punch above their weight class, if you will, to um, get these guests that they see on other podcasts. So I would say start small, start with who you know, and then just grow from there. Have a right point of reference in terms of how fast you can grow and really just be prepared to do the hard work and grow slow and grow your engaged fan base versus just focusing on downloads. So if you're just starting out, again, focus on your why, Make sure that you have the best quality that you can afford and have a strategy, do it because you love it, focus on the focus and just do the work and show up consistently. You know, I think that's great information. I've recently become a fan of Seth Godin who talks about minimum viable audience. And really you almost wanna walk backwards and you wanna say, okay, if I have this number of engaged listeners and that's going to create this business result for me, whether it's commercials or sponsors or services, whatever you happen to be engaging. And of course, you just have to like to do it too. I mean, if there's things that you wanna say and you wanna participate in the social discussion, around your areas of understanding and expertise, you get to do that too. But it doesn't have to necessarily be a huge audience. It just needs to be your audience. And if it's, you know, 10,000 people or 5,000 people or 100 people, really, it doesn't make a difference if you feel like you're making a contribution. And I think it was easy sometimes to get caught up in the numbers game, right? instead of focusing on what is your purpose and what is your goal. Is it important to do your podcast regularly at the same time on the same day? So like this airs on iHeart at 11 p.m. on Sundays, and then it's a podcast release the next day. But people know we're going to do one every week and it's coming out at this time. Is that important for podcasts since you can get them anytime you want? Absolutely. I think podcast listeners in general, I am one, so I can speak to this. I love consistency. 
I want to know that every week it's a fresh episode because what happens is if you're not consistent, when I go to look to download the latest episode and it's not there, you have about two times for that to happen <laughs> before I go on to the next show. So consistency is extremely important. Elsie, it's been great having you on. I hope you'll stick around and join us with some more insights and input. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We'll be right back after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart In our new studio. In our new studio with our special guest, Elsie D. Flinart, the third <laughs> i was gonna say the second the third i was gonna and say so there's been three no more than three right there are four so my son is the fourth and i have already began to indoctrinate him to not let the family down and if when he has, has a son i mean you, you kind of have to name him the fifth i mean like you don't want to mess that up if you have a business and you missed what Elsie said about starting your own podcast, go back and listen to it when our podcast comes out tomorrow. So our podcast comes out on iHeart on Monday, the day after the show airs on the radio. But Elsie, you know, we all agree that everybody has to have a podcast and he can really help you figure out how if you've never done it before. And Elsie, how can our listeners connect with you to get more information about what you do? They can um, either email me at mayor at podcasttown.net, or they can give me a call at 262-278-0535. So I'm very excited about the next part of our show, Power Move with Kenya Gibson, iHeart Media Maven. And today we have a really special guest, Soleil West, who is just rocking the house in so many different ways. Kenya? Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. And I'm excited to talk to you, Soleil. You have a great name, Soleil West. Are you in, uh, related to Kanye in any way? Uh, no, no, not at all. I, <laughs> I know a lot of people from school that I used to go to used to um, think that I was related to Kanye, but no, I am not. I gotcha. Gotcha. But you're making your own lane and your own moves. So I'm excited to talk to you today. I was reading about you and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't done anything with my life. (laughs) (laughs) You've done some remarkable things. You know, you you started your own t-shirt line. Tell us about that. So my t-shirt line, the chatty chick, I started that when I was seven. When I started my Instagram page, um, we were getting like a lot of messages from parents or, you know, adults saying, I didn't like my hair or my daughter didn't like their hair. But then once they started looking at my page, then they started to uh, love the hair more and they started to embrace it more. And so that made me want to have a t-shirt company so girls can express how they feel about the hair. But after a while, 
um, we've seen that a lot of different people were wearing it. We've seen girls with blonde hair or blonde curly hair, girls with straight hair. we even seen boys wearing it. So we um, decided to make it with t-shirts for the whole family. But now with all of the things going on, I uh, wanted to use it as a tool for my activism because, yeah, I want to speak up for things that I believe, like Black people voting and, um, you know, protect kids, not pedos, because, you know, we just need to do a better job with that. And like America will be great when we all have equal human rights. Well, I love what you're doing with your line and the creativity that's behind it. And I, I your messaging is super important because I, I think a lot of kids, I know when I was a kid, I struggled a lot with self-esteem and embracing myself. So I love that you're teaching that to your peers at such a young age and giving them something to make them feel empowered. Thank you. So tell us about New York Fashion Week, because we only get to watch it. You got to actually walk in it. Yes. Okay. So I have walked in New York Fashion Week. Um, I don't exactly know the amount of times, but it's definitely been um, a good amount of times. So the first time that I walked in New York Fashion Week, I was eight. And so that was very scary. I was that was when I was walking with um, kids designers. So that was actually like my real my first real big show. So it was definitely really scary, very intimidating, because if you were to like look at um, that video, I had the yellow like tube dress. Mm. If you were to look at that video, I definitely looked very scared because like there's so many people out there compared to the small local shows that I was doing before. So it was definitely really scary. And so when I walked for an adult designer, uh, when I closed for a show, I had the, the cake, the black with the flowers on it. So basically that originally came to happen um, in Palm Springs, the first time that I was able to wear heels. So he saw me and was like, I want her to close my show in New York Fashion Week. And so when I found out, I was like astonished because I really loved his work and I've been wanting to, you know, walk with him for a long time, but I never really thought I would be able to because I was still walking for kids designs. And so when I got there, no one knew that I was clothing for him. They just like, oh, she's here. Okay. And so when I did it, people were like cheering. And honestly, um, you know, fun fact, when I uh, go out, I kind of like blank out. So it's just like, I do it. And when my mom asked, what did you do? Like, after I come back, I uh, just like, I don't know, because it just happened. Well, it's funny. I was going to ask you the same thing, too, because I mean, going from, you know, walking in a kid show to an adult show, right? There's probably a lot of pressure in that. And what advice would you give to anyone who was looking to, you know, have that boost of self-esteem to present themselves on a platform that might be a little scary? Because that's a power move to be able to do that. I would just say uh, you would have to have a powerful mindset and um, also, you know, have words of encouragement, Um, you know, put them like on your wall or just say them to yourself in your head. Those would probably be like the main things that I would say to, you know, help empower yourself because they definitely worked for me. So what's next for you? I feel like you've done all the things. Well, I actually have wrote a book. We're actually thinking about publishing that, but I'm just doing the finishing touches on that. If you want to know what it's about, it's basically like some of the life lessons that I have learned in my journey. And, you know, we're just going to be going deeper into that. And, you know, we were thinking about making it into like a little diary and, you know, publishing it. But yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, you can maybe talk to Carolyn because Carolyn's already done the whole book thing. So she might be able to give you some really good advice. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> well, listen, you have great personality. You have great energy. I mean, your mom must be so proud of you to be so just grounded 
and level-headed. I don't know adults that have what you have. So whatever you're doing, keep doing that because it's it's remarkable. Thank you so much. <laughs> we appreciate you being here on Power Move today on Passage to Profit. Where can people find out more information about you? I am basically on all platforms, but if you guys want to go to my website, saleywest.com, spelled C-E-L-A-I West.com, W-E-S-D, West.com, and then you'll see all of my social media platforms, and then you'll be able to read more about me. Also, you'll be able to see my book. It's an ebook, and you get to see like some of my runway videos, some of the things that I've acted in, some of the people that I've worked with, and yeah. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Soleil West, thanks again for coming on and having a conversation and inspiring us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Fireside again. My 10 second pitch is now, do you want to make history and be a part of the future too? Join me on the first ever video directory of small businesses. And what Fireside is, is just that, a video directory for small businesses. I interview people that need to be interviewed. It's much better to do an interview style because you're actually talking to a person. And this really started out for people who weren't comfortable on video to get a video because everybody has to have a video these days, just like everybody has to have a podcast. And people didn't really know what that meant or how to do it. So That was the reason I started this and it's growing. I've gotten quite a number of people on the site. It's a YouTube channel and a website. And good news, last week I spoke to a videographer in Virginia. He's a young man. He wants to send me videos for the site, be involved, sending me content for the site, which is great because I'm doing the content myself now with people, but I don't feel like I have to. From my perspective, this is really a tech project. It's a video directory online. I love interviewing the people, but if I can get other good interviewers to send me content, that's just as good. Communications are so important now. You know, video, audio, they're the wave of the future. Right. And what surprises me a little bit, I do get people that don't have a video yet, which is kind of my target audience that I was originally going for. And this is kind of like, this is where you start, right? So these are Zoom videos now, since we're in COVID, they weren't before they were in a studio, but this is where you start with a friendly interviewer and then you get better videos from here. But now I am getting people that have other really good videos and they just like doing videos <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and they like the format and they like being on a site like this. So, so yeah. what's up next? So speaking of getting people to interview for Fireside, <laughs> I met this wonderful woman networking, We've never met in person. We met through LinkedIn. Her name is Amy Adon. She has sent me so many people for Fireside to interview. It's just been fabulous. Amy has our lunch club. She is the best connector I've met in a long time. She just introduces people to each other. So welcome, Amy. Tell us about what you're doing with our lunch club. Yeah, I got into networking after 20 years in the banking industry. And I met Elizabeth. And I found that it works both ways, introducing people and gaining visibility. I can attract people and then create a mini marketing plan with your help. So that visibility is key for people I meet. Tell us about our lunch club. So our lunch club is a group of executives and entrepreneurs that need to meet one another. They're looking for the next opportunity 
opportunity. And by forming a group, a cohesive group that gets to know one another and trust one another, they can find those opportunities in the group. Well, that's really great. So in this age of COVID, how do you work? I'm assuming that a lot of the networking now is really via Zoom and group chats. How do you personally find that versus the old fashioned way where you would meet somebody at a gathering and you would talk to them personally and face to face? In person is the best. Let's face it. Trust is developed by meeting face to face. But because of COVID, we no longer have that opportunity, that privilege. So Zoom is the next best thing. And that's how my group meets is once a month, the first Monday of every month on Zoom at noon. How do you see the future of networking? Do you see that it's going to be some combination of in-person and online? Because I've done a lot of networking and I love meeting people face-to-face, but it's also sometimes 20 or 30 minute drive to get to the place where you're networking, right? So it's a lot more convenient just to be able to do it from home and meet people that way. But on the other hand, like you said, you kind of lose something, right? So how do you think it's going to evolve in the future? I think there's going to be a hybrid of networking. For example, my group is virtual on Zoom and it will forever be virtual because I have people from California, Chicago, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, and this works. But in the future, I can see either live or live with a video component. I agree with you. You can get in a lot more appointments via Zoom during the day without having to jump in your car, run to you know a location and finish your meeting, jump back into your car to get back to the office. There's a lot of wasted time doing things on Zoom. You save a lot of time, but I don't know, even though telemedicine is working and it's very beneficial, I want to talk to my doctor face-to-face. I want to talk to my financial advisor face-to-face. I want to know who they are and what they are, but it's not always possible And I believe in this age, we're learning to trust remotely and to take those steps to meeting people, getting to know them one-on-one. And that is so important. But nothing really replaces face-to-face, unfortunately. Right. And with the Lunch Club, I'm a member of it, I must say. There is a fee to join. And so... That will probably turn off a lot of people that aren't serious, but it gives you a group of people who are at the executive level, who are serious and are serious about forming these long-term relationships with people at their financial level or above. Like in my case, most <laughs> of them are probably above, right? But um, that's another differentiator because there's networking groups upon networking groups upon networking groups. And it's a waste of time sometimes if you find the person who's making necklaces one at a time and selling them on Etsy, and that's not really going to be your client. And then, you you know, you meet somebody else who's not, but I think that this is more focused in, right? Absolutely. We're focused on serious business owners, decision makers that are looking to meet like-minded people. The philosophy of my group is not what can I get from you, but how can I help you? A philosophy that's not transactional, but relationship driven. With that in mind, 
people gather together and we try to get to know one another. It's not all about the 30 second pitch. It's about developing relationships. I agree with that. A networker once told me the first question you should ask somebody when you're at a networking event is how can I help you? What are you looking for? Why are you here? And don't even really mention what you do and just start a conversation based around those ideas. And so you may be able to say, hey, I know somebody who's really good at that. And, you know, they're over on the screen. I just met them. Maybe that would be a good connection for you, right? I think that's the best way for networking. And I don't even give people my card unless they ask for it, right? But it's all about trying to find ways to help other people. And hopefully that comes back to you at some point in some way. Absolutely. It's a small world and people don't forget by offering a helping hand, an introduction. People don't forget those meaningful little gestures. Right. But Amy, I think you've left a little bit of your spark plug energy on the table here, because when I talk to you, I get, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, I met the most amazing person. I'm sending you an introduction. You guys are just going to love each other. And, and that excitement about the connection is what draws people to you and to your group because you're excited to connect people together. You see the synergies. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so fabulous, right? You know, that's funny. Today I met a transportation concierge and I have to introduce him to you. (laughs) (laughs) I have never met anybody like this guy. Right. So I think what it is, is you love people and you love helping people and you love hearing what they do and you have an enthusiasm and excitement around that. And that's why you've been able to grow your group so quickly too. I generally really care about the people that I'm working with. So I take the extra time and I I absorb their story. And once you absorb somebody's story, I figure out who they need to meet. And it's easy to do that. And it takes a little bit of time, but it works. It generally works. For example, I met a web developer. He's looking to develop websites for manufacturing concerns. His pipeline is running dry. And because of me and my background, I realized, oh my goodness, I know somebody who does, believe it or not, warehouse logistics for manufacturers. And to bring the two together, you see the synergy. And it's just that they were meant to be introduced. And that's how I guess the spark happens. Completely agree. I am big, 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 big on relationships and relationship marketing. To me, that is my entire world. I am not a transactional type of guy. I am all about relationships and how can I help you get to where you want to go? So amen to everything that you just said. You've been building this network. What's that experience been like? I hear you get a buzz every time you make a great connection. I share that feeling with you too, because I enjoy that as well. But what is your day like? For many years now, I've been connecting people, not realizing that I've been connecting people. When I was a lender several years ago for a local regional bank, I found the best way to develop my pipeline was to create networking groups and events. And then I realized I like that more than the other job. And I started meetings in restaurants and I took the best people I met and I would start introducing them to one another and seeing the synergies that resulted. So 
I'll wake up in the morning and I'll say, well, this person needs to meet this person and I need to introduce them or I need to find somebody in a certain industry to introduce somebody else to. And I go to lots of networking events. It used to be face to face, but now they're all virtual. And I want to get to know people because if they don't have the right philosophy in their life where they want to help people, then it, it doesn't work for me. But if you meet good people, nice people who want to share what they do, it just seems to happen. It just seems to fall into place. And that's where Elizabeth comes into play because I meet these <laughs> great people wherever I go. And I'm like, wow, I have to introduce you to Elizabeth. So they can come on Fireside and then maybe come on Passage to Profit. So we use Fireside to screen people for Passage to Profit a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So, you know, I am, believe it or not, not the, the best networker. I'm, I'm introverted to a certain degree. So when I used to go to all these networking events, you know, you don't know who to talk to and you really don't know how to interact. Um, and if you're a little shy and you're introverted, it's even harder. And I feel like now that there's all these virtual networking events going on, that's like even more amplified. So how do you help somebody who was already an introvert in a one-to-one -one human experience go in and transition into these virtual experiences in terms of networking? Like, what are some tips? Networking for some people is like walking barefoot on broken glass. <laughs> they hate it. And so I really try to put them at ease and have them relate to me as a friend, as a sister, as a family member, without any pomp or circumstance, and just get to know one another and not dive into, okay, what do you do? You can talk about, wow, oh, I love your hair today. That is great. Or, you know, one of the icebreakers I use is name something that somebody else doesn't know about you and wouldn't likely know about you. And it's interesting when people open up and start sharing. Face-to-face -face networking can be uncomfortable, but it's a matter of making yourself approachable. Yeah, and I think if you approach it as a relationship like you are, Amy, then it's not like I'm networking with you to get you to buy a trademark or a patent. I'm just networking with you to get to know you and form relationships. I think that makes it more comfortable for some people. My strategy is just to listen. If you ask good questions, people like to talk about what they're interested in. And I'm more like Kenya. I'm on the introverted side when it comes to being in large groups of people. And I just let them talk and I ask them questions that show that I'm listening. And that's a great way to make a connection. I think everybody has a wonderful story to tell. I agree. And I think you have the golden touch of drawing things out of people and introducing the right people to each other and getting them talking to each other. I bet you'd be great at a party that way. Like you'd go find the person who's standing in the corner and say, oh, you have got to talk to this guy about you know, the shirts exactly that he makes. The way it works. We're coming to the end of the segment. How do people find you, Amy? They can find me at my email address, ourlunchclub.ai at gmail.com, or they can call me 973-303-1115. And our website is www.ourlunchclub.com. Excellent. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. You're listening to Passage to Profit. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We'll be right back after this message. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, 
HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm pretty excited about this next presenter. Her name is Carolyn McBride. She's worked in the restaurant industry as a publicist for quite a while, and she's written a book loosely based on it, Four Seasons at Angelino's, and the reviews are fantastic. So welcome, Caroline. Tell us all about it. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. My novel, Four Seasons at Angelino's, stems upon my career. I was the chief operating officer for Behind the Burner, which was an online culinary startup. And then after that, I spent over a decade as the director of public relations and business development for an international restaurant group that's based in New York City. In addition to that, I've been a publicist for private clients in hospitality, as well as the beauty industry. And I decided to take all my adventures and experiences and combine it into an interesting story that hopefully would inform people but also provide a sense of escapism. So while the book is based on real life experiences, I also added humor and added the whole dating element because it is romantic comedy. And what I did was I wrote about places that I had personally worked in and experienced. So every chapter is named after a different city. You have places like Mumbai, Tokyo, Moscow, London, Paris internationally, and then domestically, of course, New York City, Los Angeles, Newport Beach, California, Greenwich, Connecticut. So it pretty much runs the gamut of the entire country. What I did was I included my love for travel in the story. And with that, I created a travel blog that I put on my website to give more details about the cities that are featured in Four Seasons at Angelinos. And I hope during this time where so many of us are grounded and cannot travel because of the pandemic, readers will get a glimpse into places that they hope to visit someday or maybe places that they have already been because I also included restaurants and points of interest and hotels in each city. So somebody will think, oh, I haven't been to New York in a while, but I remember that High Line or that restaurant. And I hope it will really make people enjoy the story while also learning and traveling vicariously. Wow. That sounds like great escapism for those of us who are stuck inside because of COVID. I'm definitely going to read it. I, <laughs> I read for escapism. This sounds like the perfect book. It's it's comedy too, so that's even better. So what made you want to write a book? I actually was inspired by the late love of my life um, because I was telling him all my crazy stories about working in this restaurant industry, which is quite chaotic, but also very exciting. When you think about it, we spend some of our best moments in restaurants. It could be a first date, 
a birthday celebration, or just catching up with a friend. That takes place in restaurants often. And behind the scenes, what many readers don't realize, unless they've worked in the restaurant industry, is that there's so many stories that are going on back in the kitchen or between the servers and the bartender. And there's a lot of romances that also are spawned in that environment. You have an energetic workforce that are often working long hours and commiserating with each other. And as well, you have the interactions between customers and servers. So you might have the guy that always wants to sit at a certain table because he has a crush on the waitress, but he's too shy to call her. And there really is a business behind restaurants. And again, as a publicist, there's so much that goes into promoting a restaurant and launching a restaurant in a new market. So the book delves into that. How do you take a popular Italian restaurant and make it work in Tokyo? In Tokyo, for example, they like small portions. And in America, as you know, and <laughs> it can be the opposite part. sometimes. Well, I just I just have to say that when Richard and I met on our first blind date, we went to a restaurant with a buffet so we could sit there and talk without interruption. And the waitress was honest like flies on honey. I mean, she, she would her- not leave us alone. <laughs> I'm like, what stories are they saying back in the kitchen? Like, she- <laughs> Customer service in the restaurant industry is vital. And so sometimes it's a fine balance of you want to be there to help the customer and be around because you don't want them to have to flag down the waiter or extra help. But to your point, it was a buffet. So maybe she should have backed off a little bit. <laughs> I thought it was interesting earlier Elsie was talking about how everybody needs a podcast now and a blog. And during my journey with the book, I ended up including a blog on my website. So now I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I need to be exploring the the podcast situation because I've been doing so many podcasts now as a guest to promote the book. And I know we were also talking earlier about as entrepreneurs often are turning to books and publishing to promote their brands and to promote themselves as experts in a certain field. And that's a big sector now. You have people self-publishing. And when you think about it, even the biggest business leaders that we all know, most of them have books. It could be anything from a energy drink to clothing, whatever you're trying to brand yourself as or market yourself or your business. Having a book published gives you more credibility and opens doors with the media. So it's always a fine balance if you go the self-publishing route or if you try to go the traditional publishing route, which is a whole nother interesting conversation. Four seasons at Angelino's. And it's because the book is based upon, uh, it takes place in one year. It's very fast paced, hence the four seasons. It's divided into four parts, spring, summer, fall, and winter. And then also Angelino's is the fictitious restaurant group that it's based upon. So you have this publicist traveling around the world, opening these restaurants, one pasta ribbon cutting ceremony at a time. I think you have a good idea for a pod there in terms of just maybe taking some of the the content that's in your book and transitioning that into an audio version of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Like I said, I was taking notes with um, Elsie's presentation because I'm, I'm really thinking about it. And also I'm in talks with some people out here in LA as far as turning the book into a series. 
because there's just so many stories. So it could lend itself to Netflix, Hulu, or HBO. You never know. So we're working on that angle too. The book is Four Seasons at Angelino's. And I'm assuming it's on Kindle, Amazon, everywhere. Yes, it's everywhere. One of the benefits of being with a traditional publisher, you can find it in Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Target. It's all over the place. And the easiest for most people is Amazon. And yes, the e-version is on Kindle as well. And when in doubt, you can go to my website, which is carolinemcbride.com. And I list several retailers that sell the book as well. Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show on WOR 710. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling Calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. With our special guest, Elsie D. Flanart, the third. From Podcast Town. He's the mayor, as a matter of fact, of Podcast That's Town. That's his email, mayorpodcasttown.net. <laughs> mayorpodcasttown.net. Yeah. Elsie, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? My word of wisdom would be just get started. If you're considering leveraging podcasting to amplify your voice and grow your business, just do it. Just get started. Kenya, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, as always, it's good to be a part of this. Good to be here to learn everybody's experience. I mean, everybody had such a great contribution today. And we got to talk about one of my favorite things, which is podcasting. So I I was happy to be a part of that conversation as always. And Soleil, do you have any final words for our audience? I would say that you are never too young or too old to follow your dreams. Whether you want to do a podcast, do modeling, acting, whatever it is, you just got to set your mind to it set goals and you'll get there with the right amount of time but yes excellent excellent advice so that was soleil west with her power move and you can find her at her website spelled c-e-l-a-i-w-e-s-t dot com and really go take a look at this fabulous young woman she will amaze you we also had amy adon who is also amazing with ourlunchclub.com high level networking with networking advice meet everybody yes meet everybody and then carolyn mcbride with this great book that I could hardly wait to read called Four Seasons at Angelinos. And you can find her at her website, Caroline McBride, but you can get her book just about anywhere. What a great thing. You could go all over the world to different restaurants in your mind because you can't do it physically right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> so we want to also thank Noah. Yeah, Noah, our producer. Thank you so much, Noah. You really bring the show together and we really appreciate your help. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, Passage to Profit. So everybody that goes on here gets on our YouTube channel. The more people subscribe, the more people will find it and it'll help with your promotion too. So please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show. Please do and check out Fireside as well. Yes, Fireside.directory or Fireside Directory for you. So this has been Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart, Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York. Mm-hmm.